Have you ever had one of those nightmares where you can't move? Where you're entirely certain there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken, torn, damaged, missing. But you're still unable to move anything. And you're entirely certain that you could. If only there wasn't something stopping you. Now, I could be describing sleep paralysis, but that would be a very, very different show. This is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast subset Deep Dive, and consequently we are talking about MMA fighters. In this instance, UFC welterweight champion Kamaru Usman. The sequence, I, I bring up that the sleep paralysis potential, the lack of mobility, because that is the reality of fighting Kamaru Usman, at least for his last two opponents, and to a different extent, his fight with Damian Maya. The inability to realistically move, the claustrophobia of pressure, the ineffectuality of your motions, your mobility, your intention, nothing working against this implacable wall of force that is this other human being trying to smash you in the face. It's a terrifying prospect in many, many respects. But how does Usman really accomplish this without being so pedantic as to say, well, he's a really good wrestler? He is a really good wrestler. That's unbelievably self-evident at this point. There's a lot of really good wrestlers. There's a lot of really good wrestlers in MMA. In fact, there's several with significantly more accomplished amateur wrestling careers than Kamaru Usman, be that on the American collegiate or the international scene. So how does Usman accomplish such an absurd degree of control and success at the very highest level, or so, at the very highest level of competition? There's a few things that go into this, and let's start out by establishing Usman's primary condition for victory, which, as you may have guessed from that opening, is control. Kamaru Usman must be in control of a fight. At least based on all available evidence. Because no one, and I mean no one, has thus far been able to reliably put him out of control. Against fighters like Damian Maia, Rafael dos Anjos, Tyron Woodley, Emil Weber Mech, they were able to accomplish essentially nothing of real value against this man. Nothing to dissuade him from his method of preferred attack. And that's a, that's a very troubling thing to anyone lining up to fight him. If someone as decorated as a Leon Edwards, who's on an incredible streak right now at the moment, if being wildly underappreciated, or a journeyman technician, an all-time great technician in all honesty, and Rafael dos Anjos, uh, an all-time great welterweight in general in Tyron Woodley, if people like this are unable to really dissuade him, it, it's clearly a very, very tall order to accomplish. So if Usman has to be in control, and all available evidence suggests that he does, how does he really accomplish 
this kind of control. Part of it, I would suggest, is, believe it or not, his adaptability. For a man presented as being as one-dimensional as he is, and one-dimensional in this interest, be in this case, being a singular dimension coming to the forefront, in Usman's case, his wrestling, he applies it in very different ways, depending on the opponent. In fact, if you look at his last three fights, those being in order, Damian Maya, Rafael dos Anjos, Tyron Woodley, he accomplishes the bulk of his work in different areas in all three. Against Maya, he scored 83% of his total off significant offense, and however much value you wish to place on the UFC statistics team, differentiating between significant and insignificant is up to you as an individual. But he landed 90, excuse me, 83% of his stri- total strikes at distance. That was over the course of a five-round fight. And that was contested at a, rel- not an absurdly high pace, but a relatively high pace. By contrast, against Rafael dos Anjos, another five-round fight, he landed... He was more... It was more broken up in the dos Anjos fight, in no small part because dos Anjos is a difficult fighter. 36% at distance, 25% in the clinch, and 37% on the ground. And I would certainly argue, having watched that fight a few different times at this point, that the bulk of his relevant damage was done on the ground rather than at distance. And most startlingly against Tyron Woodley, a full 55% of his total offense came in the clinch, the initial 25% on the ground and the final bits being at distance. Although the distance in in this case largely refers to a single flurry in the fourth round of the fight. Just not a very... Kamaru Usman, unless he's fighting someone who he doesn't really want to engage on the ground, not much at distance. Which does bring up the interesting point about the Damian Maya fight. Usman was able to use his wrestling in reverse, as the phrase goes, and still control where the fight took place and the pace at which the fight was contested. These are unbelievably fundamental to his success. Now, he again achieves these in slightly different ways depending on his opponent. Against Dos Anjos, it was a decent enough mix of clinch and groundwork based on the skill set of his opponent. Against Maya, almost all on the feet. And against Woodley, the vast majority in the clinch. Because taking Woodley down is a tall order. In fact, coming into the Usman fight, Woodley had the highest takedown defense of any active fighter, I believe. Uh, that's what the broadcast has said, at least, and retrograding the statistics is a little bit of a difficult thing. At the moment, the highest takedown percentage belongs to Kamaru Usman. Takedown defense rating, he's never been taken down in the UFC. Uh, depending on what site you look at, they may not give him credit for it, because the UFC stats site in particular has a mandate of at least 20 fights, or I believe it was at least five fights, and something like 20 times people have tried to take you down, but those might be reversed. Suffice to say, Usman's 100% takedown defense rating 
is in no small part because most people just don't even bother trying. It's or his or his own wrestling attack is so aggressive that it precludes them trying. He's only been swept, I believe, once. Uh, in the Rafael Dos Anjos fight, Dos Anjos hit a Kimura sweep on him. That was able to uh, only use it to kind of scramble up briefly before Usman was back on him. The control aspect of this fight is uh, of Usman's game is startling because it is so so efficient. No, uh, no one has been able to force him out of control of a fight for anything approximating a legitimate portion of the fight. And as many fights as he's had in the UFC, as many rounds as he has fought in the UFC, and against the increasing opposition that he has faced, that is an incredibly impressive feat. There are a couple of small details that Woodley, that Usman uses I bring, the, I bring up the Woodley one in particular because Woodley had never comprehensively been out-wrestled prior to that fight, not in the MMA context, at least. And Usman did so very thoroughly. <laughs> Even the stuff that was fence-wrestling or clinch-fighting on the fence was dominated by Kamaru Usman. There's a few different things that he does. One of them is he prioritizes the left underhook. This is very, very true in the Woodley fight. It allows him to have a degree of control over Woodley. Uh, underhooks are always a valuable tool. Uh, anyone who knows anything about fight fighting, be that practically or analytically, will tell you in great detail about the value of an underhook. I think Usman's predilection for the left underhook is because he is very right-side heavy with his offense. It's not that he never fires from his left side, but it is more rare. He prioritizes firing damage from his right more often than not. So the left underhook allows him a control position and then frees his power side to inflict damage. Uh, in the Woodley fight, there was a lot of body shots. A lot of body shots. Uh, in the RDA fight, you could see him in, implement more of his takedown game. He took down Rafael de Sanjos much more frequently. There's a really kind of interesting tactic that he uses when taking people down, especially if they're against the fence. Usman has a really underrated ability to secure a takedown, but in the process of securing it, move you into a position where you cannot immediately look to wall walk. Uh, he it does on just fight again. He hits a really nice uh, modified knee tap. He has the left underhook. She has relatively high in this in this case. He looks to change level, and his right hand, which is free, goes all the way down Dos Anjos' side to grab at the knee or the calf. Almost, it's he gets very low with it. Picks that leg up, and then so as he forces the takedown, he's able to spin Dos Anjos completely away from having his back to the fence to being to his head pointed into the middle of the cage. When fighting Tyron Woodley, he was able to get a couple of takedowns, one a very impressive body lock. And every time he does so, he does a good job about repositioning his opponent so that they can't immediately wall walk, immediately scramble. They're going to have to put more effort into that endeavor than just perpetuating the motion that he creates with the takedown. 
this goes into a lot. Of, this speaks to Usman's pace, but not only his pace, his style of pace. As a contrast to Colby Covington, who I talked about in another one of these uh, these podcasts, you can find that relatively easily. I mentioned that Covington likes motion. He is his style is very labor intensive as well, but it's very aerobic. Motion scrambles, high high volume of striking. And that is very fatiguing, but it's also very differently fatiguing than what Usman does. Usman will put a high pace on you, but while it is labor-intensive, it is more static. It's more isometric versus aerobic. And overcoming that requires a very different level of conditioning, which is not to say better or worse, simply different. If you've ever seen some... Uh, you know, how do I say this? There are various feats of strength, some of which involve you know, the explosive motion of lifting weight. You can take some very, very strong people who can lift tremendous amounts of weight if you then ask them to simply hold it in the static position, especially one at stress away from the body, it becomes more difficult. Uh, perhaps a better comparison in this case is runners given that Covington's style is, again, very aerobic, very motion-based. There's a tremendous amount of runners, be that sprinters or long-distance, who are incredible athletes, who do not have the physical strength to do a tremendous amount of lifting, because that's not what, they have des- that's not what their sport is designed to do. And the reverse is true as well. If you ever watch a lot of strongman competitions, they tend to be spaced out over periods of time because what they do is so physically draining and the body type that you need to engage in that level of strength training, uh, feats of strength, is not conducive to great cardiovascular conditioning. Again, neither is better or worse than the other. They're simply different. And it is a stark difference as far as this matchup goes. Usman's ability to impose static positions and then force you to go from static to generate motion is tremendous, and it's a very di- that kind of explosion is a very different kind of drain on your conditioning than perpetual motion. Usman is very, very good about fighting at a high pace through control positions, through relatively static positions. And this goes a little bit into some of his greater strategy that I, I think it's important to discuss. I talked. I've talked a little bit in the past about. Uh, I kind of refer to it as the Khabib meta. That is the foregoing of the sport jujitsu positional hierarchy in favor of a position that you can maintain safely and then inflict damage. Now Usman very much falls into this school of thought, especially as his career has progressed. If you watch some of his very early UFC fights, he does a lot more passing. And sometimes to his detriment, because every time you pass, it can create openings for your opponent to then generate motion, for you to lose a position. And as time wore on, he still will look to pass, but he sets up his passes differently, and he will completely forego certain positions as a transitional means. A lot of this specifically like side control. Uh, 
Usman doesn't do a lot of work from there. He there's a point in the Woodley fight where he takes Woodley down and lands inside control and then begins to work, but he even from there somewhat quickly puts himself back into half guard because it is a position that is easier to control even if it is less likely to generate a finish. And this is a lot of Usman's game. Finding a position of reasonable control that he can force and retain where you can't, and then winning minute over minute, round after minute to minute, round to round, until you are utterly out of the fight. Either broken down physically, beaten, if you give him enough openings, he will inflict damage, or time runs out and you've just done nothing of any real value to as far as scoring criteria goes. It's a very labor-intensive style, but it is an important one because there's a lot of fighters, especially high-level fighters, who are starting to adopt this strategy of just putting in a lot of time into reasonable control positions and then being better in that spot than whoever they're fighting. Leon Edwards does this a lot, especially in the clinch. Covington sort of does this when wrestling. Khabib does this, although Khabib is something of a statistical outlier if you look at propensity for finishes or just ability to inflict damage. Because while he very much foregoes a lot of the traditional control positions, or certainly the transition between them, he is very, very good about punishing you once he gets to anything remotely approximating a position that he feels comfortable enough in retaining. Usman prioritizes maintaining control more than inflicting damage. This is not to say better or worse. Again, this is a strategic and tactical choice on his part that has thus far served him exceptionally well. And this strategy, and not only the strategy, but the work that goes into making this strategy successful, because a strategy is not a silver bullet. It's not a magic button. There is work that goes into it. There's hours and hours in the gym. There's hours of refinement. There's hours of skills building. In the case of Usman in particular, this means that, from a functional standpoint, quote-unquote equal positions against him are not equal. Much of the Woodley fight is contested in the clinch. Much of that clinching is done from the what's called the 50-50 position, where one, part, one fighter has an underhook, the other fighter has an underhook on the opposite side. So in this case, Usman, who prioritized in that fight at least the left underhook, has his left arm around Woodley's body. Woodley's right arm is over Usman's left. Woodley's left arm has an underhook on Usman's right side. This is, as the name of the position might suggest, in theory, an equal position. You each have an underhook. They're on opposing sides. You each have an equal ability to transition. You might each try to pummel. You each have a hand free to inflict damage, to hand fight. Each side has the same tools at their disposal. So in theory, this is a neutral or equal position. The reality in fighting Kamaru Usman is that those positions are not equal. He is winning. He is landing body shots, he is stifling you, and he has simply put in the work 
in the gym to not only retain this position, but to turn what should be a neutral spot into one that favors him, in some cases dramatically. Again, the Woodley fight is a total wipeout. And Tyron Woodley is one of the four best welterweights ever. Arguably three best welterweights ever, in all honesty. And you can see Woodley, in some cases in this fight, in the 50-50 position. And it's almost as though in his head he is thinking, this is neutral. I'm not actively losing here. When in fact, he was. Not because the position had changed, but because of who was using the position. The 50-50 position against someone other than Kamaru Usman, if you're Tyron Woodley, might in fact be equal. He might be superior there. No one that has fought Kamaru Usman has thus far had an advantage over him in neutral positions. In any position that is theoretically equal, if he is the one dictating it, he is winning. And I don't mean that in some, you know, bizarre or esoteric sense. I mean, he knows how to use a theoretically equal position to his advantage. Be that body work, be that knees to the body, be that elbows on the break, be that level changes to keep you off balance. Any of any position that he puts you in that should be relatively equal is not equal when you're fighting him. There And there are plenty of other fighters that that position might in fact be equal. Uh, Rafael dos Anjos, when he fought Robbie Lawler, a lot of that fight is in the clinch. And a fair bit of that is, again, kind of towards the 50-50 position or you know, pummeling, because uh, dos Anjos uses a lot of like the double collar tie or the tie clinch and against someone as decorated and violent as Robbie Lawler, Dos Anjos was able to work very, very well from there. Even with his back to the fence for a lot of that, Dos Anjos worked very well. That same position against Kamaru Usman shifts radically away from Dos Anjos' favor and into his opponent simply because it's Kamaru Usman. And that is a dangerous thing to have to overcome mentally. To just know that if you're not in a position of actual, I hate to say dominance, but if you are not in the superior position, the clearly superior position relative to Usman, you're losing. And there's a lot of some misconceptions around how how scoring works or what judges see. And I've yelled about judging in combat sports and MMA quite enough. I'm sure anyone could find my reactions to certain decisions and heard me rant and rave. But Usman is simply able to take a neutral position and stop it from being neutral. Having your back against the fence does not necessarily mean you're losing in a clinch scenario. Dos Anjos does a lot of his clinch work with his back to the fence, if necessary. Demetrius Johnson would use, uh, would have his back on the fence and just outwork you, even though you're the one leaning into him. Uh, similar to you know, how guard is a neutral position, there was a large misconception about the person on top being the one winning. In reality... 
it is easier to inflict damage from top position, certainly. But it's not... It is still a neutral scoring position. Much the same way that if you're standing, you might have a easier time scoring damaging points fighting out of the orthodox stance rather than the southpaw stance. But when you're standing at distance, you are still scored neutrally until someone starts inflicting damage. And in almost all of these theoretically neutral positions, Usman has found a way to be the one winning. Be that through working harder, working smarter, both in some cases, his pace simply wearing on you and the type of pace he puts on you. Tensing your muscles for long periods of time is unbelievably draining. And when you're fighting Usman, there is a tremendous amount of tension. When you fight Covington, I'm comparing and contrasting these two deliberately, you have to be in condition for motion. When you're fighting Usman, you have to be in condition for tension. And you can actually see very briefly in the Woodley fight, which despite being a five-round unanimous decision, there is only one point in that fight when I feel Usman gets tired. It comes in the fourth round when he wobbles Tyron Woodley on the feet and looks to unload with strikes at in the pocket, somewhat at distance relative to if you define distance as anything not the clinch or the ground. And he swings for the fences for a little bit, and after he is unable to secure the finish, he reclinches to get by himself time to recover. It is not that he is relaxing in the clinch, but his he is conditioned more for the static control positions, and that actually buys his shoulders and his arms time to recover from the extended aerobic motion of throwing a lot of punches at distance that he was clear it's a minor thing but if you're looking for something the, no- the notion that you can simply make Kamar Usman work and he will fade is profoundly inaccurate much as it is with a lot of people you have to make them work in a specific way it is the in my estimation the defining characteristic of the upcoming fight between Usman and Covington the more that fight moves, the more it favors Covington. The more that fight is on lockdown, the more it favors Usman, simply based on how both of those gentlemen have fought to this point in time. And that's kind of my position on Usman right now. He's an incredible fighter. His conditioning is superb to wrestle the way he does, that kind of static, constant tension. It is incredibly draining, and he can do that for five rounds against the highest level of opposition. His wrestling is extremely high level. Again, the knee taps, his ability to get a body lock if you give him an opportunity. His wrestling along the fence in general is quite good. He's done a lot to control people there to try and mitigate their ability to simply resume moving. At times against Tyron Woodley, that's fighting for wrist control, uh, going for, I believe it's somewhat colloquially now referred to as the Dagestani handcuff. Or, in some cases, he simply holds a body lock and uses the pressure of his upper body 
and the threat of pulling Woodley away from the cage to stifle his mobility. And Usman's wrestling is very, very high level. And it's not one-dimensional. It's It works well from the clinch. He transitions from clinch takedowns, from upright position in the clinch to a takedown very quickly. And his takedown de- game at distance is solid. If there's a bit of a weak, I'd say weakness, if there's a habit to be exploited there, Usman does a fair bit of ducking and reaching. Uh, Tyron Woodley was able to only once actually fire an uppercut to try and dissuade him from doing that. And it, it landed very hard to the chest, but it was very late in the fight and was not enough to dissuade Usman in, the, in that particular instance. If you leave your leg r- close to Usman, he's got a very quick snatch single in that he will grab it. And even if he can't generate the motion, start spinning you, running the pipe, or transition to a trip a la Daniel Cormier, once his hands get together, if you're not by the if you are not in open space, he's going to transition into a clinch, and then if you are not the one in a superior clinch position, you're going to be in trouble because you're not gonna be able to move, and he's going to be the one winning those ex- winning that position through his knowledge of it through his ability to inflict damage and through his ability to maintain said position almost ad infinitum at this point uh, he has not looked tired at all when fighting in those types of scenarios and I'm not sure who presents the biggest challenge to him if Colby Covington is unable to have any success Covington's style is built to ask re- very, very real questions of Usman, both in, not just in terms of pace, but in type of pace, in fighting someone who can match a degree of his MMA-tuned uh, wrestling. I'm, I'm just not sure who really has a great shot at besting him if Covington not only doesn't win, but doesn't find any success. There are certainly relevant challengers. Uh, The Leon Edwards fight would be a rematch. Usman bested him earlier in both of the UFC careers, but Edwards and Usman have both improved tremendously since then. There's Jorge Masvidal, who is a tremendous, tremendous fighter, but on paper at the moment does not seem to match up well with Usman. I, I've i become more impressed with Kamaru Usman's game the more I've studied it because he is so good at simply nullifying everything his opponents try to do. And that is an extraordinarily difficult thing. To take another high-level fighter, impose your game on them, and never let them dissuade you in any sort of way, from continuing along that path is a very, very hard thing to do, and he has done it exceptionally well. I am extremely interested in his fight with Colby Covington. Uh, it it might not be a barn burner in the traditional sense, but there's a lot of very interesting things to look forward to in that fight. 
And that's going to wrap up this particular episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please, I'm going to do the traditional thing here. Like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, if you are interested in the in what my thoughts on that particular fight, you can stop by the MMAZona411mania.com this Saturday. I will have live play-by-play coverage of UFC 245, so stop by, say hello. Uh, you don't have to say hello. You can stop by and just read along. I'm perfectly okay with that. And this Sunday, I will be hosting, as usual, the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast proper. Uh, this week, it will be a review of UFC 245. We'll go over all of the action, and I do hope you'll join us. Until then, I am again Robert Winfrey. Thank you very much for being here. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>